Almost every Friday and Saturday morning, I'm out on my porch, usually grilling something. If it's breakfast time, I'm out there frying bacon and probably some potatoes and onions, something that's maybe not the best for me. Later on, it, it might be hot dogs for lunch or hamburgers, maybe chicken or maybe even steak. And it's not uncommon for my neighbors to be out walking by and for one of them to shout, what's for breakfast? And I've invited a few of them to come up and sample. I haven't had any takers yet, and that's a shame. But then again, that means it's more for me, isn't it? I have, I have to wonder how my neighbors know me. Do they think of me as the porch guy? Do they think of me as the grill guy? Do they know me as someone they can talk to? I know some of them do, but I realize this, no matter what else my neighbors might see me as maybe a Christian or a preacher or a pastor, whatever, whatever else they know me as, I am a neighbor. And if my neighbors don't see me as a good neighbor, then it really doesn't matter what kind of Christian I am. Now that, that goes for me as an individual, that goes to for you as an individual, but it also goes for us as a church. God put us in a neighborhood with a purpose. He put us here for the people around us. It's a wonderful book I read a while back called The Neighboring Church by Rick Russaw and Brian Mavis. And in the book, they asked some very tough questions. They asked the question, if your church disappeared tomorrow, would anyone care? Would, would anyone notice? Would your neighbors notice? Are we reaching out to our neighbors? Are we impacting the lives of our neighbors? Are we helping them? If, if our faith is defined by and our existence determined by us being neighbors, well, how well do we do we neighbor? The text we're looking at today is in Luke chapter 10. It's verses 25 through 37. It's a passage that I'm almost positive that you're familiar with. It's the best known story that Jesus has. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. It's a story that is inspired by an encounter that Jesus had with a man who had a question for Jesus which led Jesus to ask him a question and led Jesus to ask him to look at himself closer and ask the question, what kind of neighbor am I? The story begins in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he, that is Jesus, said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he desired to justify himself and said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But 
a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Well, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. The story of the Good Samaritan is about selflessly giving to someone who can't help you. But the question that sparked this parable is not a selfless question. It's not a question that's about caring for other people. The question that sparked this parable really is, where does God set the bar for my faithfulness to Him? It was a very popular question. It's one that many people asked Jesus, and it's a question that people continue to ask to this day. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Another man came to Jesus and said, Of all the commandments, which one's the most important? Years later, the Philippian jailer would say in the book of Acts, What must I do to be saved? People still ask, How do I know? How do I know I'll make it to heaven? What do I have to do? But you know, far too often when they ask that question, it's, it isn't about God's grace. It isn't about faith or it isn't about who I am as a Christian, who I am in Christ. The question is, what do I have to do? Who do I need to be nice to? What must I do? To, uh, what works must I complete? Luke hits, it, hits the nail right on the head with this guy in verse 29. It's there in verse 29 when Luke tells us that this man was desiring to justify himself. I know, I know I'm a sinner, but what do I have to do to prove that I'm not as bad as that guy over there? What's the bare minimum that I have to do to get God's attention, to get God's favor, to to get to heaven. I love where Jesus goes in this story, and I love what he does with this story because he makes the man ask, he makes the man answer his own question. Verse 26, Jesus says, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. It's based on an old story. There's a very old story about a boy who went to a rabbi, and he said, Rabbi, teach me the whole law while I stand on one foot. And the rabbi said, Whatever is hateful to you, do not do that to your neighbor. This is the whole law. All the rest is just commentary. <laughs> but like many things, we... We hear that. We, it sounds good. We acknowledge the truth intellectually, but come on, there's got to be more, right? Because I, I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm a sinner. How far 
do I, have, do I have to take it? How far do I have to take it to prove that I'm better than the, than the next guy? And so the question for the lawyer comes down to, well, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Who do I truly have to be responsible for? And who can I ignore? Who do I have to care about and who do I not have to care about? And so Jesus tells this story that makes, that makes the hero out of the one person who is never the hero. The one person he could be sure was not his neighbor, a Samaritan. Samaritans were half-breed Jews. They were unclean. The Jews considered them to be barely, barely human. They were despised. They were hated. And that is the one person that this man was absolutely certain would not be moving in to his neighborhood. But you see, the parable of the Good Samaritan was not given to us to teach us how to take care of our neighbors. The truth is, we already knew that we should do this for each other. The parable of the Good Samaritan was given to us to teach us that the greatest expression of our love for God is our love for others. I mean, I've got good news for you. Or maybe it's, maybe it's bad news. The news is this. Being nice to people will not get you to heaven. Going to heaven is about grace. It's about what Jesus has done for you. It's not about what you do for others. It's not about being so nice that you finally get God's attention. Going to heaven is about you surrendering to the power of God's love for you. And so here's the bad news, or maybe it's the good news. If you think back for a moment, a few chapters back, Luke chapter 6, we looked at the Sermon on the Level Place. Remember the Sermon on the Level Place? As opposed to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, the Sermon on the Level Place has everyone, all the crowd and the disciples and Jesus, all standing on the same level. No one is above anyone else. And it was there in the Sermon on the Level Place that Jesus said in Luke 6, verses 37 and 38, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. We like that first part because we, we don't want to judge people, right? We don't want to do that. The hard part is the last one. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. If God accepts me by his love, even though I'm far away from him, if God considers me to be his neighbor, then I have to use that same measure when I ask God, well, who's my neighbor? And so Jesus tells the story 
that they could all relate to and the story that so many of us still relate to today. A man goes on a journey and he finds himself in the wrong part of town. He is jumped, he is robbed, he is beaten and left for dead. And a priest and a Levite both pass by. In any other story, these men would have been the heroes. These men would have been the champions. They would have saved the day. But here they don't. They don't want to get involved. They don't want to help. They pass by, not just pass by, but they pass by on the other side of the road. They keep their head turned so they don't even have to see him. And the one who helps is the one who would have never been the hero in anyone else's story. The one that nobody else would have helped. The hero is the Samaritan. Did you notice what the Samaritan didn't do? The Samaritan didn't stand there and, and look down at the man laying there beaten, bloody, and, and dying. The Samaritan didn't stand there and look down and say, well, what did you do to deserve getting beat up? You know, if you hadn't been in the wrong place at the wrong time, this wouldn't have happened. That's what happens to people who go down that road. He didn't wonder, well, was he guilty of something? He didn't wonder, did this man start the fight. Maybe this man is the aggressor. Maybe this man got what he deserved. No, instead he saw someone in need. He saw someone who needed help and he helped him. You don't have to understand everything to be a neighbor. You don't have to understand everything that that other person is going through to be the neighbor that God's called you to be. All you have to do is see a need and meet it. You and I have have come to the point where we realize, we, we, we have to come to the point where we, where we realize we have nothing to lose when it comes to helping someone else. And we have to understand that we define our relationship with God by the reach of our compassion. Did you see the reaction of the lawyer when Jesus asked him what the point of the story is? Verse 36, Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? Which one of these men meets your standards of obedience to God? And you notice he won't even say the word Samaritan. He won't allow those words that word to come out of his mouth. He won't acknowledge who this man is at all. Instead, he identifies him by his actions, and he says, I imagine spitting the words between his teeth, the one who showed mercy. He was identified as obedient to God by his compassion. You remember those words from chapter 6, Judge not, and you will not be judged. He's doing that. He's not judging him to, to be a Samaritan. He's not saying all the nasty things you would say about a Samaritan. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. This, this is the problem. This is where the problem is. Because the measure is mercy. The measure is compassion. And that's where Jesus says to him, you go and do likewise. You know, Compassion is one of those things that can only be seen in your actions. A compassionate thought about someone, 
does absolutely nothing. Compassionate feelings are worthless. Compassion takes action to be real. Do you remember a long time ago we looked at the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, compassion, and kindness are marks of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. <laughs> compassion and kindness, you know, those are, those are great words, but boy, they have a lot of weight to them. If you ask me if I'm a compassionate and kind person, I'm likely going to beat myself up and I'm going to say something like, well, I hope so. I try to be compassionate. I, I try to be kind. I know I could do more. What if we chose a different word? What if we chose something a little more tangible? And what if we said, what kind of neighbor are you? What kind of neighbor are you? Are you good at neighboring? Well, well then we could tell stories, couldn't we? But we could tell stories about how we've helped out. We could tell stories about going over and mowing our neighbor's lawn. We could tell stories about times when we sat with our neighbor when they were going through difficult times, or, or times we took food over to our neighbors, times we, times we fixed something that was broken at their house. I was struck by a quote in the book, The, the Neighboring Church. They had a quote from the chief medical officer of San Diego County in California. San Diego County, that's huge. It's a, it's a huge metropolitan urban setting. But the, the, the medical director, the chief medical director for San Diego County in California said this, around 25% of high-risk seniors who are discharged from a hospital are readmitted within 30 days. Many of these people are isolated and lack the social support of caring neighbors, that caring neighbors could provide. And as a result, help prevent avoidable hospital readmissions. Did you hear that? A lot of people who come home from the hospital end up going back. But if it were for neighbors in those communities, if there were better neighbors in San Diego County, California, those people could stay in their homes. Now I can tell you stories Story after story from Kansas, Illinois, from Edgar County. I could tell you story after story about how people here are living proof of that because I've got names and I've got stories. And I know right now there are neighbors who are in their homes and are healthy today because you check in on them, because you bring them food, because you love them and you are good neighbors. And I hope you realize what a gift that is. That's why God has placed us in this neighborhood. Be the best neighbor that your neighbors have ever had. Be the best neighbor that your neighbors have ever had. That's the goal. Be the one that they tell stories about. The one that they talk about when they talk about what a true neighbor is. You know what's great about this parable is it has to be the least ambiguous of all of the parables that Jesus told. We get to the end and we know exactly what the point is. We know exactly what Jesus means. And we know exactly what to do. There are other parables that Jesus told where we're left scratching our head and wondering, what does this mean? What do I do with this story? Jesus lays it all out for us. Verse 36, he says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. 
And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Do you want God's compassion? Do you want to know that you belong in his kingdom? Then show compassion. Be a good neighbor. You go and do likewise. I'd like us to consider one last question. And, and I'd like for this question just to work on you for a while. The question is this, who do you have room in your heart for that you didn't have room for last year? Who do you have room in your heart for today that you didn't have room for last year? What neighbor, what need, uh, what, even what, what deficit, what offense, what violation do you have room for that you didn't have room for last year? Are you growing in your compassion? Be aware, be aware that the minute you put limits, the minute you put limits on who you will show compassion to, for whatever reason, whether that person is not as good as you, or that person doesn't come from the right family or the right neighborhood, they're not the right color, they're not the right orientation, they're not the right religion, they're not the right politics, the minute you put a limit on who you're going to show compassion to, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. If you want God's compassion, surrender yourself to his compassion. Surrender all to him. And come to the table to remind us that the greatest act of compassion that you and I ever received happened at the very moment when we did not deserve it. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We are thankful. We are grateful for that. We are, we are moved with love for God for that. But are we moved to compassion for our fellow man, for our neighbors? Love God. Love your neighbor, your neighbor who's created in his image. Love God, love your neighbor, love your neighbor, and by doing so, show your love for God. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, we thank you that in our, at our very worst, at our very worst, you loved us. We did not have to earn your love. We did not have to earn your compassion. You simply gave it. I think of our neighbors. Lord, we would confess that some of them are difficult, and maybe we're the difficult one for them. But Father, you did not limit us and keep us from your compassion because we weren't worthy. Instead, you reached out and you loved us. You came close. Jesus came to our neighborhood and, 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 and dwelled with us. And we remember the body broken. We remember the blood shed. We remember a life given, a life of compassion. As we take today, we don't just say thank you for what you've done for us, but we take into ourselves the very heart of Christ. And Lord, that's, that's not about a cracker. That's not about juice. That's about how we love our neighbors. And so we pray that the love of Christ will be known through us, through the way that we love our neighbors. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.